0: Hello, and welcome to podcast Free of Pastacast, the Cast, the advice and discussion show for members of the National Student Television Association, produced by PASTA, the NASTA alumni organisation. I'm Gary Roger, and joining me this time is James Chain, formerly news editor and then controller of Gust in Glasgow, and now assistant producer on STV's nightly news show, Scotland Tonight. If you find yourself in charge of your station's news output for the year ahead, this show is all about you. I chatted with James at STV this week, and I began by asking him what's the first thing he would say to someone who's just become their station's news editor. First of all, I guess give yourself a pat on the back. Well done on becoming news
1: editor. And secondly, it's a little bit scary in some respects. It might be your first editor's position. It might, you know, you might be second year, possibly even a fresher and and taking on this challenge for a new time, still learning about student media, about television, about journalism. So yeah, there will be some challenges and possibly some fears and some uneasiness. Put all of that to one side, you're probably going to do great. And first things first, begin to learn about student telly, about your audience, because that's so important to know your audience, to know the students and otherwise that, that you're broadcasting to, to understand what makes them tick, uh, who they are, their ages, the courses they study, men, women, how you know what makes them up, what they like, what sports they play, to understand all of those things about your audiences, uh, to be able to serve them well. And that's that's really important, very pertinent in news and, and in current affairs. And that understanding of your audience is something that will... Follow you through should you get a job in journalism later on, whether it's telly or newspapers or online. is something you'll always have to understand. Learn, of course, about your craft, about making television news, which essentially is what you're doing. And, you know, television news, I, I would say, is just my opinion. Other opinions are available, but um, television news is, is mainly about two things. It's about people and pictures. The people, for us, if we're just becoming news editor of a student TV station, those people are our students, as we've been just, just been discussing. Your job is to find the stories that are relevant to them and the best pictures to tell them. So always
0: try and keep that in your head. People and pictures. If you're listening to this podcast just as it was released, well done. So, how best to use your time over the summer? I guess we
1: could split it into two things. First of all, come up with some story ideas. Second of all, start to build the contacts book. And the contacts book might be something that is handed over to you by the you know the previous news editor, by the head of station. It could be something that you share with a, the student union executive or with the student newspaper, for example. Contacts can come from all of those places and people are going to be very willing, I imagine, to share them with you. But let's do the story ideas first, I guess. Should people sometimes ask us... Younger journalists, because I, I helped run a current affairs show on, on STV. I was at Channel 7 in Australia before that and, and Sky News before that. And younger journalists who come into, into these organisations sometimes ask you or, or other people who, who, who are doing stories, where did you find the stories? You know, and that might be something that a new news editor in, in student telly or in, in student media is asking. Well, where do stories come from? Where, where do I find them? And the answer is they're absolutely everywhere. Do you know, and you also, as the journalist, are the best judge of what a story is. There's obviously legal and moral considerations <laughs> with covering anything, and you need to be really careful of that. But try not to let too many people tell you, "Oh, this isn't a story. This isn't a story," because by many measures, and in, in in the words of uh, you know of some people who've done it done it for years, news you know, can be defined as anything someone, somewhere doesn't want public. So if you start out as a student journalist or as any kind of journalist, people are going to be saying to you often and and, uh, and loudly, oh, that isn't a story, this isn't a story, that isn't a story. That might include members of the student union, they Possibly include members of the university hierarchy. You know, there might be even scarier figures like police or local business owners or other people in the town, city, or otherwise where you where you go to uni. Try not to let too many of them tell you this isn't a story. Where do stories come from? They, you know, they come from all sorts of places. Read all the newspapers every day because uh, there's many stories in there that haven't been given the space and the column inches that they deserve. That tiny thing on the corner of page 14 in the Guardian, for instance, that refers to your town and. Students there may not be of much concern to uh, to their readers, and it might not be a good newspaper story, so it only got a small spot on the corner of page 14 for you, for your audience. If there's pictures involved, it could make a, a really grand story, so newspapers can be a source of your stories. Take a look. If there's organisations mentioned in there, don't be afraid to call them up. That's one of the great things about... Not only being a journalist, but about being a journalist in in a country like ours, too, in a a democracy. You can literally ring anybody up and ask them about a story. They won't always play ball. But anyone, from the local shopkeeper to the Prime Minister, you have the right to call up. You know, you can call up 10 Downing Street and say, look, I'm calling from Loughborough Student Television or Leeds Student Television or Imperial College Student Television. You know, I want the Prime Minister to comment on this. You know, he might not. But the Prime minister's spokesman might come back and say, look, well, we realise this issue is important. We're doing this for students. And that gives you an exclusive, you know, and it just came from something you spotted in corner of page 14 of, of The Guardian. So don't be afraid
0: to do that, to make your own stories, to, uh, to make your own look. With regard to getting stories, how important is it to be seen on campus, to be recognisable in the student bar, for instance? The most basic and and primary way of of getting stories is to to get
1: out and pound the streets it's to have those contacts that you're building up and i would say not just be be, to be seen in in the student bar but to know everyone whether it's the bouncers at the student union or the shopkeeper there whether it's the janitor who cleans the halls as well as you know the head of the various sports clubs and uh all the, you know, universities are huge institutions made up of thousands and thousands of individuals. You know, when we get a good story here, you often get a key contact and, uh, you know, and you essentially, you work that contact. And, and, you know, especially if that person thinks that something has been done that's wrong, something that has been done that's immoral, you work those contacts and they have a motivation to, to speak to you and you get absolutely everything you can out of them. There is one really important point here which we should mention if you're going around meeting people and and getting stories off them um, in a university context or, or outside the university. As an aspiring journalist you'll have heard the phrase off the record before. I mean just keep in your head the importance of that and if you don't understand what it means look it up because it is a really important concept. People will tell you things and then they will tell you things you know and and the first few things they tell you are things that that you know that they want public and and don't mind their name being attached to and and the things that they tell you afterwards are things that all right they'll tell you but they don't want anyone to know that they told you and and that is a central journalistic tenet protecting your sources so when that person speaks to you and tells you if they're telling you off the record one of the most important jobs that you can do throughout your journalistic career is to keep their identity secret. There's journalists in the past, do you know, through the 80s, 90s, 2000s, even when I was learning, who would go to prison rather than reveal their sources, as it's called. And assuming you don't, assuming you, you keep dumb about who it was who told you that thing, you have to keep that source's name secret, because... Not only will that benefit you throughout your journalistic career, but that individual source will then come to you again and again, you know, with new stories. Stories often come from powerful people, but powerful people don't always want the public at large to know that they told you.
0: These days, of course, there is the issue of too much information in this 24-hour age.
1: There's a really interesting book about this which aspiring student news editors really should read. It's called Flat Earth News by a journalist called Nick Davies who was um, investigations editor at The Guardian and the man who broke the story of the phone hacking scandal. And Flat Earth News is uh, a fascinating book. You might not agree with everything that's written into it, but you have, you have to say the guy's done his research. You know, it's a fascinating read. It tracks part of the history of journalism, and and, and what it will tell you is that 30 years ago, there were more journalists with more time turning out less stories, and that meant that each one of them could go and speak to the sources that we've just been speaking about numerous times, and then cross-check the facts in many different ways, before finally, three days later filing, you know, sending it and then it was printed on the front of this thing we used to call the newspaper that everyone used to read and, and you know, and that's the way it used to go. And he's charted the changes in journalism which are essentially, costs have been cut half the journalists are gone they have five times more stories to file these days and they're filing them to many more platforms. They're not just writing them in a newspaper, for instance, but they're filing them to the website as soon as they can. They have pictures as well. Some of them have to file video. They have to do audio podcasts of the kind that we're recording right now. And they have to send out text alerts. They have to deal with tickers that run along the bottom of 24-hour news stations or banners that come up on websites. They need to be tweeting and Facebooking and, and uh, doing all these things that, that modern journalists have to do. And as Nick Davies made the point in Flat Earth News, there's half as many of them as they used to be. They don't have the expense accounts or the resources or the foreign trips that they used to get. And and, and, and what Davies sort of postulated is it's created a thing called journalism, where basically so, so much news now, he says it's it's created essentially by two things. PA, like press association, i.e. it comes off the news wires, which come into all of our newsrooms, PA and PR, which is press releases, of course, which is public relations. And he says that, you know, if you look at all the national newspapers and TV stations, PA and PR can account for a huge percentage of what it is they're putting out. And any aspiring student journalist will know this if they pick up the Metro in the morning and read an article and then they log on to Daily Mail online later and, and, and they read an article and then they watch a, a, a news a news report from the BBC, for instance, and they, they hear a report. And the same phrase can be used in all three and that person might think to themselves, well that's funny, I read that in the Metro this morning, Daily Mail this afternoon, and then tonight on the BBC News. That's interesting, they can't have all come up with exactly the same headline or phrase to describe the situation, and it's not. That's that's an example of journalism, of journalists not having the uh, enough, enough time to
0: do it. Now, an issue of paramount importance, and one which you don't want to overlook now or come exam or dissertation time. How do you balance coursework with your student journalism?
1: I mean, time management is is one of those things, you know, that you'll learn at university in general. Don't be afraid that the the ways you learn to manage your time with your coursework and uh, with your lectures and with your essays that you have to turn in. Those tricks and techniques that are used for, for managing that time can be applied to student media and your other extracurricular activities as well. But, you know, plan. That's such an important thing in journalism as everywhere else in life. Plan. Make lists, make timetables, attach your Gmail to a Google Calendar, look at that Google Calendar, work out when it is you've got your lectures, look for the gaps between it, schedule a story those days, bring up the contacts, tell them you're going to meet them. Do you know? Make it early, always make the meeting early, get you out of bed that way, and then you can spend the rest of the day swatting up on the research they've given you or following up on that new line or lead that they offered you. The students today, you know, might have greater academic pressures than we had a decade ago, but they are luckier in one sense, and that's the technology available to them. It's not only so much stronger, but they're all likely to own it. The likelihood is you might be able to shoot it on your iPhone, you know, edit it on your laptop and then turn it in via Dropbox without ever having to go near the student TV office. That's an advantage. Use those advantages if you have editing software to yourself, if you have your own camera that you're able to shoot on. Use those things to your advantage as well. You know, you don't have to go into the student TV office anymore to use all their kit.
0: Okay, let's look at a couple of hypothetical but common scenarios. First, let's say there's a protest of some sort taking place on campus. You've decided that you want your camera in with the group in order to interview them or just get footage whilst embedded in the group. The protesters are over there, you and your camera are here, and between you is a row of police. I asked James how he approached such situations.
1: The first thing I would say is if you want to embed yourself, that's perfectly all right. We've said before how democracy benefits journalism in this country, and and it does, it really, you know, it really does. Um, There's a lot of countries in the world where, you know, taking that camera and getting in amongst those protesters could, end up posing a risk to your life and and this isn't one of those countries, thank god so feel free of course to embed yourself with the protesters if you want, there's nothing wrong with uh, filming them and assuming that you don't commit a crime, even if they do you know, and even if you get kettled and god trust me I got kettled kettling for anyone who doesn't know is when the police are going to surround you potentially with (laughs) shields and batons and then keep you there for sort of eight hours straight until you're so completely demoralized you and all the rest of the protesters that no one really wants to do anything except go home. Mm-hmm. Definitely uh, go and get yourself embedded with the protesters if you think that's where the story is and that's something that myself and a cameraman who's still an incredibly close friend of mine called Rory Houston um, embedded ourselves during the G8 summit when it came to, to Glen Eagles in Perthshire just after we uh, or just before we graduated. We embedded ourselves then. If you don't do anything wrong, you no, know, please officer university security guard or otherwise can stop you going and embedding yourself and don't let them tell you that they can all right you can't cross police lines that's difficult one way that we found that that can be more effective at at gust is we got our student journalists accredited with the nuj the national union of journalists uh, who are very student friendly they'll give you a laminated press card with the nuj logo on it with press written across the top of it and that's the press card i've still got it in my wallet in my bag at my feet right now journalists throughout this building and in every newsroom have that card Um, if you have that card on you that helps with police officers, definitely with university security guards as well, You say, look, I'm a registered bona fide member of the press. I need to be let through here. There's a story going on. I want to cover it. They won't always say yes. And the important thing with any authority from, you know, police or the army down is to remain polite, but firm with them, keep restating what it is you want, the access that you require, but you can't act like some of the protesters might be acting, you know, calling them names, getting in their face. You don't do that with police. Proper journalists don't do that with police. You know, a lot of students, you know, like to protest about things and if you're part of student media you might have sympathies with whatever it is the students are protesting about as well, but but as a journalist, it's your job to be there to cover it, so you can't cross over the line, remember, as soon as you begin to act like the protesters, not only does that shoot your journalistic credibility through the foot, but uh, the police won't cooperate with you anymore, and when they arrest everyone, you might well get swept up, you know, as well. You know, polite but firm, get the student press pass, if you can, don't be afraid to go in undercover, embedding yourself, filming with the protesters, and remember that they can't or shouldn't stop you. People in uniforms and peaked caps, especially police officers, you know, carry with them an air of authority and will often tell you things that, you know, aren't, aren't necessarily the honest truth in a situation like that. You have a right to film. You have a right to film a protest that's going on. A police officer tells you, you know, to put your camera away, that you can't film, that you can't film the police, that it's illegal that you're breaking a law nine times out of ten that isn't true and I would run to the law building and find a find a law professor, tell them what's happened and they will march back out with you and tell the police officer that 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 isn't true you know, you can film police alright, you can't, I wouldn't try I wouldn't identify individual police don't get the camera interest from their face but you can film police you can film things that are happening on the streets you can point a camera at any building that you want you can't go onto private property and if someone asks you you know, if you're on private property and someone Says you can't film, or you have to leave. Then you're probably going to have to comply with uh, with what you know, with what that is. And as a student journalist, you don't want to be the subject of legal action because it's probably going to bankrupt you and, and your student union. So you can't be the bravest journalist in the world just yet. But you know, if you take on the police officers and the university security guards who are telling you that you can't film this thing right now, well, in 15, 20 years' time. You may well be taking on, you know, you may well be stood in a flak jacket as as troops go into battle somewhere, taking on uh, significantly tougher circumstances. But you'll have, uh, you know, you'll have learned the basics of your trade on that protest line at that university with those police stood there. Oh, and always ask for the sergeant. That's an important thing when dealing with the police. Normal police constables can't really help you much as a journalist unless they're leaking stuff to you so uh, if a pc says no always ask for a sergeant sergeant so-and-so i'm james chain from student telly it's important not only to democracy but to my watching students that i get through to cover this i've got my camera please let me get on my job
0: as of may 2014 nuj membership for students is 25 pounds for the duration of your course the website is nuj.org.uk forward slash work forward slash students Okay, Scenario 2. You find yourself on the trail of a story which involves your student union, or perhaps some other entity which is linked to, and possibly finances, your station. Pursuing this lead may well ruffle a few feathers. Again, how would James handle such a situation? I mean, you have to tell the story. News needs telling. Do you remember, if we can go back to that definition
1: of news from earlier, news is anything someone somewhere doesn't want public. You know, those people who who don't want it public, yes, they might be the people funding you. Uh, You have to push ahead and tell the story if you can. There is legal constraints, of course. There's always practicalities. You do have to draw the line somewhere. And often, as a student journalist, as with being a journalist anywhere else your boss might kill the story, and sometimes there's absolutely nothing you can do about it. But follow your principles. I mean, as a job, you know, you are an information giver. You're a truth teller as a journalist and, uh, you know, you need to get the information out there. You need to tell the truth, even though it seems like biting the hand that feeds you. Do you know, if, if the if the, uh, if the story is against the, uh, the student union, you know, if it's truly important, if
0: people need to know it, if it's worth telling, you've got to get out there and tell it, even if you are biting the hand that feeds you. A large part of your work will consist of conducting interviews, sometimes with famous people. I recall interviewing the various political party leaders, and often I was asked to limit myself to a fixed number of questions. Yeah, we had this actually with Alistair Darling. It was New Labour, it
1: was Tony Blair. They were just about to introduce fees which weren't going to apply to students in Scotland, but they were to uh, the rest of the country, and it was going to have an effect on all of us. So we, you know, wanted to ask him about that. You know, question number one gets you used to it. It's fairly soft. It's introducing you to the interviewer. It's introducing the interviewer to the viewers. Question two goes right to the heart of the matter. Question three can follow up on it. Question four can follow up on that and keep (laughs) keep going as long as you can. You know, the person who tries to intervene, who tries to stop them, because the politician or dignitary themselves... Is never going to say on air. Well, that's four questions. That's it. They're never going to say that. It makes them look horrible in the, in the you know in front of the viewers. So the person who's going to intervene is going to be a a PR person, stood off to one side. Tell them that's not four. You know that was a follow up. Those last two were follow ups because he didn't answer the question. He didn't answer the question, and point that out. You know if you say look. Thank you, Mr. PR person, but with with all due respect, the Prime Minister didn't answer the question that I asked him then. Prime Minister, I asked you, will students under a Conservative majority government X, Y, Z? You didn't answer it directly. Do you know? And say to the PR person, that was a follow-up. He didn't answer the question. And that's advice for the student journalist, for the student camera person who's covering it. Keep that camera rolling, because if they're going to storm off camera, if their PR person is going to come and intervene, you want that on camera too. Don't be afraid of broadcasting it. LBC did that with Nigel Farage just a few weeks ago, and it did show them up to a certain extent. I mean, Farage has been put under a lot of scrutiny now because he's just got a lot of votes in the European election. Turns out, you know, some people do want to get behind him, and he's now being put under major scrutiny. Part of that major scrutiny included... You know, in that day, he probably wasn't doing too well and the, the, the UKIP PR person stepped in to try and, you know, shut down the interview. It was important then to, you know, to keep broadcasting to show him
0: what was happening. Now, it sounds obvious, but always be prepared. As a rule, always have on you your wallet, with a little cash in it, have your ID, your NUJ card, your contacts book, and your mobile fully charged and topped up. I asked James about one instance after he graduated involving his passport.
1: you know, I always carry it to work every single day. And that was, on the Sky News traineeship, that was one of the first things that we got told. You know, you're starting a new job, so you bring your passport for the verification to prove you can work in the UK and all the rest of it. Do you have your passports on you? Yes. Good. Keep them on you. Keep them on you every day of your journalistic career. And one day, it will pay off. And four days later, we were sat in the trainee room and the foreign editor came through the door and said, right, who's got their passports on them? And me and one of the trainee had our passports on them. He said, great, next question, who speaks French? And that's when I lost out and the other guy won. You know, he said, I speak French. The phone said, brilliant. So said, I've got these stab vests. There's a crew in Paris. There's a riot. Take the stab vests, get them on the plane. You've got 10 hours. Your flight leaves shortly. Go, you know, the crew are here. Go, deliver it. You're totally right, have all of those things on you, and always be ready to go. If you ever find yourself asking yourself, Oh, should I, you know, kind of bother to get on the bus, the train, the car with these people to go to the place where this is happening, you know, there's a fire, there's a murder, there's this, that, or the other, can I, should I go? Yes, the answer is always yes, you should go. You're never going to be stood on a murder scene or a disaster zone thinking, oh, I wish I hadn't come. You often will be sat, you know, behind the desk or in the student bar, though watching the Sky News journalist turn up on the corner and the TV, and the BBC News journalist turn up on the TV in the other corner. Thinking, oh, I really wish I'd gone. I've had two pints now. I can't drive. You know, you will find yourself thinking that. So you know, keep keep those things that you mentioned on you, as well as your passport and all the rest of it. Keep them on you, and you know, when the story breaks, go. I had an old boss, the head of Sky News. He still is the head of Sky News. A man called John Riley, sort of awesome figure in the newsroom he had a phrase he used to say remember fortune favors the brave although it sounds a little bit dramatic and a wee bit cheesy it is true as a student journalist and any other kind of journalist, if you sort of keep that in your head and more importantly perhaps keep it in your heart fortune favors the brave you know if, if you if you sort of stick to that mantra when you go into a story, you're going to do really, really well. And uh, I would say you're going to have a fantastic time as a student journalist. Should you choose to go on and make a career out of it afterwards, it really is the best job knocking around.
0: You really are going to enjoy it. My thanks to James Chain for joining us this time on The Pasta Cat. Our next podcast will be on the subject of all things technical. Meanwhile, remember that Pasta is here to help. Get in touch with us at NASTA Alumni on Twitter or by emailing alumni at nasta.com. Thank you for listening, and I will leave the last word on the subject of student TV news to James. It is difficult, but I would say this to aspiring student
1: journalists get used to it. It can be difficult being a student, often striving for academic excellence whilst working in a bar at the same time, whilst having to do the extracurricular activities like student television, which are the things that, in the end of the day, alongside your degree, are going to help you get a job. That's essentially three jobs. But I would tell you this, that is going to prepare you for life as a journalist if you want to go into it when you're done. Working really hard as, as as a student journalist alongside doing your degree is going to give you an incredible work ethic for when you finally do enter a newsroom, you're going to work twice as hard as everybody else. And And the second thing I would say is, It's worth it. It is so worth it. And to prove that, I don't always tell stories about my mum, but I will tell one, and I'm sure she wouldn't mind me saying it. When I first became news editor of Gust, Glasgow, all those years ago, (laughs) my mother said to me, well, that's nice that that you've done that, but don't let it detract from your studies. Do you know, I came home a year later and and said, oh, you know, I'm going to be station manager and she's an incredibly worried look on her, you know, past her face. And she said, oh, well, that's lovely. But, you know, remember your degree, do you know? And and then sort of nine months after that, I said, Mom, you know, we're, we're going to try and win Nasta. You know, we're making all these amazing things. And this so terrified luck is now passing on her thinking, oh, my God, he's going to drop out to just devote all his time to this student TV station. And then the day I got onto the Sky News traineeship, do you know, we were celebrating. I was thinking, this is brilliant. I've got my dream job. She turned to me and said, oh, it's a good job you did Gust, isn't it? (laughs) And it really was, you know, and I'd say that to every single student news editor starting out, you know, you're not going to regret the effort that you're putting into student media now, you are not.